Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Satisfying victory for Tottenham Hotspur. 5 0 over Norwich. We are joined by our regular panelists, and we also have a special guest today leading us off from South Middle Atlanta, Middle Middle Georgia. I don't know, it's all the same to me. We have Ben Daniels. Ben, how's it going down in uh, the deep dark south? You feel good about that one, Greg? Or you feel want great to start about that one? Guys. It's going better than the last one, so we're just going <laughs> to roll with it because that's the kind of professionalism our <laughs> listeners expect. Uh, yeah, th- things are great. It's been a great week. How's the marriage holding up? Uh, it's good. You know, whenever she's a pain in my ass, I only have to start humming the Champions League tune, and she leaves the room. You really should just give that on your phone somehow. <laughs> like, whenever someone calls you, it just starts playing. Yeah, any text message, any any <laughs> alert on my phone, that won't get old. <laughs> Will it? I don't think it's going to get no, old for never. you. It won't. It won't at all. <laughs> Next up, coming to coming to us from the wilds of South Florida, because I actually know where that is. It is Brian Ashlock. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, apparently, Georgia is the worst state in the country to live in, which means Florida is not the worst. So um, it's a happy day here in Florida. We're celebrating. Um, someone probably had a lot of meth somewhere. It's a, it's a wonderful day. Good thing this podcast is drug-free. And finally, our special guest joining us to dance on Arsenal's grave, it is Ryan Rosenblatt. Ryan, thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks. I mean, I'm pretty happy because of all the Premier League teams, uh, Tottenham came in fourth, which is equal to the number of takes it took you to get the intro of this podcast going. See, it's all about the professionalism. We just want to make sure that we do it right and have no mistakes or weird uh, production problems. So. Such a commitment to your craft. It's really it, admirable. It is. It really is. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur, like I said, beat Norwich 5-0. Um, a lot of satisfying things about this game. Um, I think the most satisfying thing is we finished ahead of Arsenal. Uh, I think we all kind of saw this coming last week, but it's nice that it finally happened. Uh, Ryan, I'll start with you since you're our, new, since you're our guest. It, is this the most sort of satisfying victory over Arsenal you've had in your time as a Spurs fan, or, or like, maybe not vic- getting one over on them, I don't know, really sticking it to them. Man, I mean, if it's not, it's, like, tied for the best one. I, I mean, that time that we came back and beat them at the Emirates with Eunice Kabul, that, that one felt cathartic because, like, it was the first time in how, who knows how long we actually won. Um, this one was especially good because it had a healthy dose of them tripping on their own dicks. And, you know, it's good to be triumphant. It's even better to laugh while being triumphant. Well, it's it's so satisfying in that not only did they completely throw away fourth place, but we comprehensively beat them in the process. Like, I, like unless we just did this for a title or a cup, I have a hard time imagining a more satisfying way to like ruin Arsenal's season than we just saw. Ben, how's it playing in the Daniels household? 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's fine. I, I really, I'm not as much of a dick as I would like to pretend to be. Uh, I know. Boo. I play, I play Commit to the bit life. like Greg does. Where's your professionalism? <laughs> I have no professionalism. I'm just a good husband. Just lie to our listeners. <laughs> even though she's made the, the wrong life choice that she has. I mean, I I definitely have tried in the wake of this to persuade her to Spurs fandom, and that doesn't go well. Um, but yeah, it's 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 good. It's nice to be on top. I mean, it's since like the first time we finished above Arsenal like six years ago. Um, this is the f- first time it hasn't felt like a given that we were going to finish above them. So I, that that was a nice change, especially given like you said our contribution to their untimely demise. This just felt like. And I don't know of any of the times... Like, it felt like there were like four or five years in the early 2010s where we just couldn't haul in Arsenal at the end of the season. It always felt like they just ground out 1-0 victories. And, you know, we just couldn't reel them in. And I, I don't think any of them were as bad as this, but I don't know. That makes it very satisfying for me, the way that we just really stuck the knife in and twisted it. Uh, Brian, do you have any... Before we move on from laughing at Arsenal, do you have any any thoughts about this? About how just it all blew up in their face and how great it was? No, I don't care about Arsenal. I think it's small club for a small club mentality for us to have started the podcast caring about them. <laughs> um, and I think you know to build a, an entire existence of our fandom based on just being better as a club than you know some shitty team that moved to North London a few years ago doesn't make any sense. Do you really how how unfair like I know it's been it feels like it's been forty years since the season started, but like we played a quarter of the season with Nuno as, as our manager, and still finished ahead of him. <laughs> like, we, hired, we, we played a quarter of the season with a caretaker. And here Not, didn't they, even show up. they played four quarters of their season with Mikel Arteta. So. <laughs> and I don't know and if you guys heard this. They have the youngest team in the Premier League history. <laughs> um, and so that's very difficult to, to achieve, you know, top four, but like fifth is a great accomplishment. So, um, yeah. I, I will say that it was fun to finally, to, to Greg's point about watching, like seeing how different it felt than like 10 years ago. It was really satisfying to see um, this rivalry turn on a loss to Newcastle, and it wasn't us. <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing that was actually really gratifying about just the end of the season in general is just that, like, we didn't back our way into this. We didn't we didn't necessarily luck out like, you know, over the last, what, 11 or 12 games, we just won a bunch of football matches. Um, we went out there and we just kicked the shit out of teams. And like there were a couple of blips. Sure. Like there's the Brentford result. Um, there's the Brighton result, you know, but like by and large, we just went out and took care of business and looked really, really good doing it with a pretty flawed squad. And the the other teams around us, whether that's United or West Ham or Arsenal, just found ways to screw things up. Even Chelsea found ways down the stretch to screw things up and, and make make it so that going into the last day, Theoretically, we could have finished third. Um, it was a far-fetched theory, but it's possible. Um, we needed like 14 more 
goals, and we could have done it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, so like, it's it, it 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 was immensely gratifying that this is a team that, like Ryan said, started the year with Nuno Espirito Santo as the manager, and we looked directionless. And I think we were all like, oh, if we just get Europa League, maybe it'll be okay. And we finished fourth, and we looked fucking good doing it. And I, that's great. I, I, I had a lot of fun down the stretch in this season just because we were playing so well. The fact that other teams around us, specifically Arsenal, played so poorly just, like, made it better. But, like, my enjoyment was predicated upon us being good. I don't know, because I think when we handed the impetus back to Arsenal over those Brentford-Brighton games, even playing as well as we did around that, and we had finished fifth, would have pissed me the fuck off. So I do take a lot of joy in Arsenal completely shitting the bed and allowing our good play to go rewarded with a top-four finish because I would be I would be making a lot of excuses like Arsenal fans about why we have the right manager and we have the guys here to do it and next year is going to be our year. And I'm really glad I don't have to do that. I can just sit here and watch Arsenal beat the shit out of Everton 5-1 in the last day of season and see like the hollow emptiness in all of their fans with every goal meaninglessly scored in a thrashing that like had their team gotten their act together like three days earlier, it, it would have been a totally different season for both teams. And I think, instead, we got this. I think an interesting thing too is like obviously the defining match of this run-in is going to be beating the crap out of Arsenal and, and it comes down to we finished four because we beat Arsenal and they lost and and understandably and as far as these jokes go which is what really matters it's all going to be about Arsenal but I think that when you kind of look back on um, how well we played and really grew into being a Conte team and what all of this means to me the biggest one that maybe best symbolizes kind of where the club has gotten to and where it's going to go is that when the season was really coming down to it and we were playing for high, high stakes. We played Liverpool and we did not flinch. And we played them at least even and we drew them and we could have easily have won that game. Like, it, it, there are so many teams in that, that situation where, like, okay, we're going to write off the Liverpool match. We're going to have to be, win the other games. We're going to have to get some help. And, like, yeah, all that kind of stuff did end up having to happen. But the big thing is that when it mattered most, not even playing one of the best teams in the league could trip up this team at all. And it wasn't a lucky win. It wasn't a worldy. It was we went toe to toe for them against them, and we're just as good as Liverpool. And like that kind of I think best symbolizes where this club is right now and where it's going. Even though the jokes are where they are, and I would like to keep making them. Yeah, it's. I think you make a really good point, Ryan, because I think the fact that we went into that game, which I don't think any of us felt confident about, and just you know, played that well against them. It didn't bottle it, didn't drop points in a way that I think we all would have understood. It is, I think it's really impressive, and I think it shows how far Conte took us. I mean, think about that United match that got Nuno fired. Think about the the first Arsenal match that with Nuno was still our coach. It just, it, it's ridiculous how far Nuno took us, or uh, Conte took us this year with this squad, with, bare, with two admittedly major additions in January, but still... It was really satisfying. And going back to what you were saying, Ben, I think, like, I'm almost glad that sort of blip with Brentford and Southampton happened because 
by handing the momentum back to Arsenal, in some part of all of our brains, we started making those rationalizations you were talking about, those excuses. So now it's even funnier when we see Arsenal fans doing it. And like you said, Ryan, like getting jokes off at Arsenal fans' expense, you know, is really what matters here. And I think just to wrap up this conversation, I saw an Arsenal fan earnestly tweeting out how they need to trust the process, and I think I think I ascended into heaven for a moment there and just like experienced sort of nirvana. It was I, I'm very just very happy with how this is all blowing up in Arsenal's face, and I I honestly it's funny reading the rationalizations because I think I would have turned into the Joker. If we had done what Arsenal had done, I would, no matter how many rationalizations I would have made, it would like I would just be like unplugging from Spurs for several months. It would be very brutal. I don't care how well everything was going, you know, to sort of see that top four place to Arsenal would have just driven me out of my mind. And it's, I'm very happy it's happening to them because they suck, and I'm glad to see them sort of on the wrong end of the stick for once. I mean, they, yeah, they came I under agree. pressure. Yes. And that's really what it comes down to. Sometimes when you have the youngest team in world history, they're, they don't have the maturity, as as our players do, to see these important matches out and get over the finish line. Well, Ben, as a father of a two-year-old who you know would have been a senior member of the Arsenal squad, I can say that they really do lack a certain level of experience. So that Arsenal got as far as they did with, you know, frankly, embryos out on the pitch. It's really quite impressive. Yeah, you got, you got to give them a lot of credit. <laughs> Most U6 sides wouldn't finish fifth in the Premier League, and I think that's just a lot to be proud of. You know, and it's like, you know, Dortmund is a is an under-29 team. It's been doing it for years, and Arsenal can't, you know, they got a lot to learn from another youth, youth system team that's just doing such a good job. So maybe one of these days they're going to, they're going to get there. But, you know, in the meantime, they get to play on Thursday night, and isn't that a shame? I mean, I, I do think this is where it's a fun time to point out. I mean, you could talk about youth. You can talk about – because they have a lot of players who have played on that team for a very long time. There is not a single Arsenal player on that team who has uh, played a full season that qualified for the top four. So yeah. it's, it's, it's just hard to do it when you've never done it before. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, you think about these players and, like, you know, they're, they're – their moms and dads were in elementary school the last time Arsenal qualified for the top four, you know. The last time they, they finished ahead of Tottenham, you know, they, they were twinkles in their grandparents' eyes. It's, it's, it's got to be rough for them. I mean, how, if you're an Arsenal player, how do you even conceive of finishing ahead of, of Tottenham Hotspur? It's, it's, it's got to be a rough existence for them. I mean, I, 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 it, the last time that Arsenal finished ahead of Tottenham, um, the number one song in the entire country was designer saying panda over and over again. A dark time in our nation's history. It's a bad beat. That's a bad beat. Um, Let's talk about the actual game that Tottenham played for a minute. Now that I feel like we've got our sufficient digs at Arsenal in. Um, I don't know. This was never, it took us a few minutes to get going, but I mean, you know, for as nervous as Spurs fans were making themselves about this game, it was just, I mean, it was like a practice match from start to finish. It was like a friendly almost. I mean, they just comprehensively beat them. And I, frankly, I think the only reason the scoreline wasn't worse than it was, was because I think after we went up 2-0, Spurs players were trying a little too hard to get the ball to Sun for his golden boot. <laughs> And, you know, I know Kuliszewski at least, like, passed up an open net to try to pass it to Sun. So, 
it was just a comprehensive beatdown. I mean, Kane has also sort of continued to demonstrate that he has added like low headers to his arsenal of um, arsenal um, to his sort of you know array of goal scoring techniques. It's it's it was just. Very comfortable, and I, I just want to, before we talk about anything else, I just want to thank Tottenham for that. They did not make this stressful. They did not make it more stressful than we were going to make it for ourselves. It was very comfortable. It was very comprehensive. Tim Krul not only embarrassed himself, but he actually, like, passed the ball directly to several of our players and, like, gave up some easy goals, which, you know, I appreciated years after the fact, you know. So I just want to thank Tottenham for making this easy. Yeah, it was nice to be able to exercise their demons against Tim Krul one last time to, like, really bring it home how far we've come over the course of this season. Um, to have such such an antagonist in Spurs lore uh, show up for one last big game and have to defeat him. Flop. And to, to defeat him so comprehensively. Floppy-haired fuck. I hate him so much. <laughs> I mean, he could still hook on with some championship team and we can play him in the FA Cup next year. And Shut up, could, <laughs> Just say it. It's possible. I mean, uh, he, no, he actually did a really good job trying to trying to keep Sun from winning the Golden Boot. I mean, he he's, the only reason, that. he's the only reason Salah got the uh, got a, a Golden Boot. <laughs> I mean, Sun scored, scored, scored like three times. Yeah, I, I, I think you guys are right. The, the fact that we were un, uh, that we were able to enjoy this match kind of from start to finish, made everything else that happened on the last day much more enjoyable. Like, you know, feeling like I was able to quick flip over to Liverpool or City or, you know, uh, the Burnley match or Leeds or whatever and not have to worry about, oh, Spurs are somehow going to screw this up. This requires all of my undivided attention um, was nice. It, it, it increased my overall enjoyment of the last day of the Premier League. Um, but like, yeah, we were good. We were out of sight early, um, and I, I don't know. Every goal in this game was cool. Like uh, I, that—that that was my favorite part. Is all the goals were great, and uh, yeah, we were—we were fucking good. I—I want to talk about. I think uh, for this match, I think the the storyline that was most important was Son, and I think like I, would he scored his second goal, which pretty much guaranteed he was getting golden boot. That celebration is one of the coolest things I can remember as a Spurs fan. Like, not just, I know, I know a lot of what we're going to talk about this week and in the following weeks is going to be about just, like, how nice it was to sort of get this team back at a level that was really engaging us again and fun to watch again. But, like, even putting that aside, that was such, like, some celebration, like, just how much the other players were excited for him how pumped he was, how much the fans responded to it. I mean, honestly, I think I think it's one of my favorite moments as a Spurs fan when he, when I think it was Lucas who lifted him up and, you know, he just sort of flexes at the whole, you could hear the whole away section just roar in a way that was, I, I mean, I got goosebumps watching it. It was, it was so cool. And, you know, you're just so happy for Saudi. He's just such a great guy. And he's been a real bright spot during some pretty dark times as a Spurs fan. <laughs> And it was just so nice to see him achieve something that clearly meant so much to him. I, I'm, I'm not sure where I want to go with that, but no, I think it's, you know we talked a, a few weeks ago when Sun had a post-match interview about like the Golden Boot race, and he was like, "Yeah, I don't really care. It's not about me. It's about the team." 
you know, if I score goals, that's great. If somebody else scores goals, that's also great. But, like, you could tell that it mattered, you know? And, like, it should matter. Like, you're you're a goal-scoring player. Like, you want to score goals when you have that individual honor in your sights. Like, you want to go after it. Um, and, like, there was a clip that went around Twitter um, of him. You could see him asking if Salah had scored and, like, looking a little sad about it. But I'm I'm very glad that it ended there and he was able to win it and Salah didn't, like, pull out some bullshit. I mean, he did. You know, in the he did pull out he some did. bullshit. He did. He really did to even tie it. But, like, whatever. That, that trophy will still sit on Sun's mantle whether Salah has one or not. I mean, he didn't um, score any penalties this year, so he's at least got the moral high ground. Yeah, clear, clearly the best. Not nominated for a player of the year, but clearly the best player in this this season. I mean, look, he's no Connor Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's It's was... also hilarious, too, because so many Arsenal fans were like, well, the only reason Tottenham finished ahead of us is because they had Kane and Son, and you're like... Yeah, the only thing that made this team good is guys who won the Golden Boot the last two seasons. So that's weird. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think no, jeez. That, that, for me, the whole reaction to it, uh, Sun's teammates, I think, was what was so neat about it. Because, like, so much of these last few years have been a slog and ugly, and I feel like we've all felt on some level that we've, like, lost a little bit of, like, that team that made such a connection with us and each other under Pochettino. And I think from... When we got two, I think after we went two nil up, like you could just tell everyone was trying to just get it to Son, like you know, like they were they were just trying to feed Son, and they all looked so happy for him, and you know, like ex teammates were saying stuff after the game, and you know, it was just like there's something I think, especially after like living through Mourinho and Nuno, and even some of the ups and downs of Conte, just seeing how invested everyone was in, in Son in particular getting this was just so. Like, there's a lot, I think, that was very cathartic about the last few weeks, but that, that is something I found very cathartic um, on Sunday. It, it was just such a pleasure to watch, and it was, you know, that it worked out for him, and everyone was so happy for him, and everyone worked so hard to get it for him. I mean, even Kane, who loves, lives to score goals, was, I mean, you could just see that they were feeding Sun for, you know, it felt like 40 minutes. It, it was just, it was so much fun to watch. So... Of Suns' 23 goals this season, what's your favorite? It might be the last one. I mean, that was a really good goal. That was a classic Sun goal. Yeah. What a way to steal the deal. Yeah. So so my girlfriend, who roots for Tottenham because they're on the ground enough and she knows about them the most but refuses to call herself a Tottenham fan, was watching it with me, and she loves Sun so much despite refusing to actually acknowledge she's a Tottenham fan that when he scored that second goal, she was literally tearing up because Aww. she was so happy for him. He's such a perfect little boy, isn't he? Uh, I don't know. That was. That, I think my favorite goal was, I, I mean, it's probably recency bias, but that last goal was really, really good. Uh, weirdly, the other son, it's not even a son goal. It was uh, the, the assist he had with Kulishevsky against City that really sticks out in my mind when I think about his season. But um, Brian, what's your favorite son goal from the year? Uh, I mean, I think it's the the first one of the season, actually, against City. It's, you know, it's a more high-pressure game, and I think it's a similarly kind of well-executed finish where he curls it so it bounces right, you know, 
the six yard box and into the far post away from uh, the city keeper. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think arguably that goal was more important to our season because uh, we don't we don't get that goal. We don't win that early match and we lose out on those three points. Um, but yeah, I, I liked that goal a lot. Ryan, what was your favorite song goal from the year? I don't know if I can really pick one because, like, to me it is a type of goal, and it's the one he scored against City or the one he scored against West Ham or Leeds, and he did it so many times, and it's any time that Harry dropped back, picked it up, and just quickly spun and just hit a 40-yard ball on a dime that Sun ran into and finished. And, like, you pick out any of those ones, they may not all necessarily be, like, the prettiest or most inventive, but like that goal that style of goal that same combination like that goal to me kind of defines this entire season what's the one it's against villa right where kane does yeah. the like look over his yep. shoulder and then the little flick like the the yep. sun's actual finish on that is fine but like it's not a, like that whole build-up play is i i think that's kind of typifies what ryan's t- it's not necessarily yeah. the it's how understanding yeah like that, that build up, that connection is like that. What that is what typifies this Spurs season is you know whether it was Kane hitting the forty yard Hollywood ball or doing that flick on like that was the type of stuff we saw all year. Ben, what was your favorite I mean, song goal? So, are you gonna say Ryan? I was gonna say then. Then again, we do also have that other uh, classic goal against in that same Villa game when Kulishevsky just bombed a shot directly into a guy's nuts and then Sun picked it up and scored. Kulishevsky is a, is a treasure. We'll get on to him in a minute. Ben, what's your favorite Sun goal? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think Ryan's right that those, those balls out from Kane with Sun running in behind is definitely the defining kind of goal. There was the one, I can't remember who it was against, where Kane plays a curler over two defenders that Sun takes off his chest into space and finishes really really well but like so much of that and so much of so many of these goals are about Kane's pass um that I don't know I we talked about this in the Leicester game but that goal the non-curler goal in that match still stands out to me as like very unique in Sun's uh goals of the season you know there's so many great curlers from outside the box there's so many goals where he's running into space so many goals where he's just sort of faced up with the with the goal and just like whacks the shit out of it but that one where, like, Kulisevsky plays it in and some lets it roll across his body and he turns on it and then puts it back to the far post, mm-hmm. um, like, the same side that the ball came from. It's just, like, it's such an outlier in the rest of his goals that uh, it, just, it just made me, like, outlandishly happy. But, like, think... It's not as good a goal as some of the other ones, but it's just, I just felt special. I was reading today that Son is, I don't know if it's more goals or shots, I can't remember that, but... He has had basically he's shot or scored more in the box this year than typically because I think generally if we think of a sun goal I think that last goal of the season was the kind of goal you think of when you think of that sort of couple yards outside the box just hits a curler that sort of goes in the top corner or whatever and you know I think there is an element of like you know I think some people I know Michael Cayley who's been on this podcast before before he betrayed us um, he. Um, has said that, like, oh, one of the reasons, the only reason people are noticing Son is Son's having the same year he always has, but Kane is just, you know, was a little bit off this year, hasn't finished quite as much as he usually has. 
I think that's sort of true. I don't think it's entirely true. I do think Son had an exceptional year, especially in terms of finishing. I think Son really did step it up in gear this year, and I think Spurs owe him a lot. And, you know, I'll go as far to say it. I think Son has been a more important player to Spurs than Gareth Bale was. I think he is a little underrated because he plays with Kane so much, but, God, he's he's such an incredible striker. And I think Kane and Son are so good that I'm actually... I've come around just being like we're gonna we should just ride the wheels ride these guys till the wheels fall off because we're just we're not finding people who are that good again or at least not easily. Yep. Good work, Brian. Well, if no one else was saying anything. I had to say <laughs> you. Uh, you know, there's only so long that we can all no sell some of your things, and you nice. weren't even trying to I be funny there. That. I appreciate so that. So it was uh, it was very rude of us. Um, do we want to talk about Kulisevsky now? Because I've been kind yes, of like, I think I think I didn't think I could love Kulisevsky more, and then I found out that Arsenal tried to buy him this year, or no, they didn't try to buy him. That was the problem. They just wanted to loan him from Juventus, and they wouldn't make any promises of a purchase, and that's the reason we were able to buy him. And boy, does that make me feel happy. He's he's incredible. He's he's so good, and you don't realize he's 21 until he celebrates a goal at which point you realize exactly how old he is um because he looks like a he looks like an 18 year old who doesn't know how to dance at prom but he's so good I really do think he's going to be an elite Premier League player I mean he's just he's so so good and I can't believe we got him yeah I mean I think we're we were very fortunate to be in the position we are in where we have you know a, a, some sort of weird relationship with Juventus, thanks to our uh, whatever he is, director of football, head of scouting, whatever we're calling him, um, Don Paratici. Don Paratici, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, he he's been great. Um, you know, him and Romero have probably been uh, two of the most impactful signings uh, in the Premier League as a whole. I think Kulisevsky is probably the, the best signing that any team made in January. Any team, not just any Premier League team, uh, that any team made in January. And, um, yeah, I mean, he he has made this team click uh, in a way that I think all of us watching the team early in the season knew we needed, but I'm fairly confident none of us were certain that Kulisevsky was going to be that good. I didn't think like, anyone he, could do it from the right. Like, where he's doing it from. I didn't think that's where that problem would get solved. I thought we'd have to play someone, like, in the 10 spot or something right behind, you know, like, where we, we used to play Erickson, but I, I, that's what shocks me about it. But, sorry, Brian, can you keep going? Yeah, and, I mean, you know, look, he's he's just really good. I mean, you know, he he doesn't lose the ball. He works his ass off. Like he does a lot of the things that we you know loved players like Eric Lamella for. But he is also consistently available. Plays full matches. He scores goals. He, he has assists. Like you know, he's good. Yeah, he's actually he like he's a tryhard, which we always love. Um, but then he's also a tryhard that's super fucking good. And, and that's um, great, especially because we have, you know, an, a, at least one other tryhard in the attacking line who's also really good. And so it's, it's really nice. Um, and, 
like I said, he just the link play that he developed with Kane and with Son uh, so quickly it was just really cool to see. Um, they got on the same wavelength really early, and I don't know if it's you know Conte and the patterns, and that's why it, why it happened, or if it's just because Kulisevsky's really good, Kane and Son are really good, and then they just connected on you know a footballing level. Um, it, it's amazing, and he he's been so great, and he was so good in this game. I thought that he was awesome, like awesome, awesome, awesome. All like since he walked into Spurs, awesome. And then I found out that Arsenal could have had him if they were willing to put in an obligation to buy onto their loan, which they refused. And then he became even better. And it is hysterical to me that he, we see how good he is. We thought he was going to be really good, to be fair. Like this, it's not surprising that he's good. We knew he was a really good player. He could have been an Arsenal player, except they didn't want to actually buy him. So we got him. And then he was even better than advertised and also finished the season despite joining in January with more assists than any player in Arsenal's team for the entire season. So I just fucking love the guy. He, so, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about that, that news today, Ryan, and that Arsenal almost signed him. Like what the fuck is Paratici for? If he isn't in pole position to sign ex uh, Juventus players, like the fact that Arsenal almost signed this guy and, like, we could be living in a world where we got gazumped for Luis Diaz and Kulisevsky went to Arsenal. Like, I don't know what we would have done. Like, that's that's our season right there. And, like, that's that's concerning to me. Like, there's no way. I that, I, yeah, I know. I I'm going to find the be, bad news. <laughs> I knew there was going to be one thing that you were going to manage to be mad about today. And I'm just glad we got there. <laughs> I mean, it's, like, that's his job. His job is... We got there. It doesn't matter how we got there. We got there. His job job was to get us in the top four, and I think we're in the top four, so he did it. Look, all I'm saying is we got a big summer ahead of us, and if he's asleep at the wheel while Arsenal are in negotiations with guys we should be signing uh, because he doesn't know what he's doing, I'm concerned. Yeah, no, why are you worried about Arsenal figuring out (laughs) signings ahead of us? Like, it's not happening. So. Yeah, I mean, look, as long as everybody who's in negotiations with Arsenal also is willing to call Paratici and be like, hey, Arsenal's being a pain in my ass. Do you want this guy? I'm fine. Like, that's great. That's a great transfer system. Have you considered that Paratici, with his decades of experience, is actually really at mastered the transfer window and the best player to sign is always the player that Arsenal almost almost signed? Maybe that was always the plan. You find out who they almost signed, you sign that guy, and he's always going to be great. Well, Ryan makes a good point. Is there any better collection of players than the Arsene Wenger almost signed 11? That's true. Uh, and listen, I think with Kulisevsky now, we have proof that it is in that club's DNA. It is not limited to Arsene Wenger. I, I think you know. one, one thing about Kulisevsky I, I want to mention before we move on or talk about other things. It's like that he has developed in his game, or at least has become more prominent in the last few weeks is for, like, a kind of fat guy, he puts a lot of people on their ass, and it's really fun to watch him do Okay, okay. <laughs> for a guy with bad skin, then, he put, and who is not very fast, he puts a lot of people on their ass, and it's really fun to watch. I mean, I'm not going to cast any judgments on his body type or his skincare <laughs> regime, because I'm not cruel. What I will say is... He doesn't seem to be very coordinated for a professional athlete. 
but it fucking works for him because, like you said, Greg, all, all the people that are defending him wind up on their ass. Um, and it, it, it's it's the kind of early Harry Kane, like, on-the-ball movement where, like, Kane always seemed like, you know, a stud away from just going ass over tea kettle every time he touched the ball. That's how I feel about Kulisevsky. And then he just, like, does some weird swim move and then is suddenly around some guy on the outside and crossing to Sun, and that's a goal. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool, good job. I, I also think an interesting and, like, just a thing about him that I find really exciting going forward, too, is obviously he was amazing from the right this season. But, you know, if something happens, someone gets hurt, the squad changes at some point um, because he is 22 years old. Like, theoretically, he will be on this team in seven years or something. You can put him on the left. Conte is convinced he can be a wing back. Like, you can play him a little bit centrally. And I don't think he's ever going to be, like, in contention for the best player in the league. But you know that you can roll him out in any match in the league, in the Champions League, against any quality of team, and be like, that guy's going to be good. And knowing that a player is going to be good in any of, like, four different spots for the next seven to eight years, like, that is such a luxury. Like, it, there's there's obviously, like, you want your great, great, great player like Kane or like Son has been. But I think that it's kind of underrated to have a guy where you're just like, no matter what happens, we know this guy will get the job done. And that's where I feel like Kulisevsky is, where for seven or eight years, you will put him somewhere and he will get the job done. I don't know why you're putting that ceiling on him. I mean, at 22, he has already got, you know, five goals and eight assists in half a season. Like, that's a crazy level of production over, like, you know, over a full season. That's a 26-goal contribution. That's I, I can't believe I can't believe you're telling me I'm being a pessimist now. You are being a pessimist. <laughs> I mean, Harry Kane had 26 goal contributions this season. Kulisevsky had 13 and half a season. So, yeah, Harry Kane didn't play the first half of the season, really. So maybe it's not apples to apples. But give me the give me give me the per 90s, you math nerd. I don't know. I don't have that off the cuff. <laughs> uh, they're both great. No, I, I think Kulisevsky is. Like, he's third fiddle on this team right now. And, like, he's playing as good as any third fiddle you can possibly ask for. Um, but I don't think it's unreasonable, once Kane and Son kind of age out of this team, for him to step up much the way that, like, I think Son did, you know, when, like, Erickson and Kane were really one and two on this team. Or even, you know, Kane and Delhi. And Son has now emerged as, you know, the primary goal scorer on this team. I don't think it would be crazy to see Kulishevsky go up a level with that added responsibility with, you know, different players around him. Like, that's, yeah, that's I, a I, good I, thing. Like, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't think that would be crazy. But kind of the way I'm looking at it is kind of for like a comparison, like at Liverpool, um, I don't think he's like there like Sala, but like he can be a Mane and like having a Mane for eight years is fucking awesome. And like, that is like, and that's great. And like, that's a player who walks into any team and gets a job done in any game and is super dangerous and super good. And kind of, that's where I see him, which I don't say is like a knock on him. I am super excited that we know we can drop this guy into any of four spots for eight years. And he's going to be really good at it. I just can't believe you hate Kulishevsky after everything you've seen. It's just outrageous. That's because I don't believe in aliens. My favorite thing about Kulishevsky, I love the way that he, this is like weird, but the way he receives the ball on the wing, 
he like he keeps his body very open to the field. Like when Sun gets the ball, he is looking directly at goal and like his head down and like it just goes on a run and it's great. Kulisevsky is like looking at like the entire pitch with his back to the touchline and like he gives himself like interior passing options and then he has that like left footed like ball roll move that he does all the time where he'll just like slide it past the defender who's like kind of posted up on him and then just go around him and like he gives himself so many options every time he touches the ball it's just like such smart heads up play and I think like we haven't seen a guy possess the ball with that kind of awareness and receive the ball and like make his body receptive to receiving the ball to do everything with it since since Erickson left and like I I really really like seeing that in a guy on our team again yeah, I mean, he played four months for us. And if you think back to, like, great moments, great plays he had that won us games that changed the season, like, you can think about, like, a great curling shot from 20 yards. You can talk about him nutmegging a guy. You could talk about him just outrunning a guy down the flank. You could look at a cutback. You could look at a cross to the back post. Like, you think about all his great plays he had for us and changed it. You're thinking about, like, nine different types of plays. He truly did it in every single type of way. And what's, what, what I really like about him, and this might be my own fan fiction, but, like, you look at how sort of poorly treated he was at Juventus, which is, you know, hard club to succeed at. They had a lot of problems with young players, but, like, you got to feel that he, like, more so than maybe some young players, really appreciates what he's getting at Spurs right now. Like, instantly walks in, instantly success, everyone loves him. Like, radically different scenario from when he's coming from in Italy. And it's really fun to watch, but... Let's not forget his uh, partner from Juventus, which is uh, Bettencourt, who... Oh, Ben, do you I have just one also, last cool Chesky thought? I just wanted to say fuck all the fans who wrote him off after, like, his first 20 minutes and who were mad about us signing a Juventus cast-off. And just the general attitude around his signing was, like, not nearly... Not only not nearly as optimistic as it should have been, it was, like, actively hateful in a way that was, like, really distasteful. I, I do remember... Fuck all those people. I do remember after, like one game or half a game there was like this narrative that like Kulisevsky's slow and I'm like like where did this come from like, FIFA. The man it came from the man FIFA I played with him in FIFA once and I thought he was slow as shit and I still think he's slow as shit so <laughs> I'm like, yeah and you think he's fat been... and has bad skin well what well, he does have bad skin so first of all freckles, he's man. a ginger <laughs> leave him alone like he doesn't have enough look I'm married to a ginger I know what I'm talking about energy. I, let's let's talk for a second about because uh, I thought he actually had his showiest game of the season. Um, Kulishevsky's uh, Juventus compatriot uh, Bentancourt. He had for a guy who has I think been fighting an injury for the last couple weeks. He had his for showiest game against Norwich, which I guess maybe isn't a surprise because Norwich suck. But like two for him very flashy assists. When I think what makes Bentancourt so good is. He's just this solid, dependable midfielder who, like, breaks up attacks, recycles the ball. You just, he's so solid, you barely notice him. It's, it's, it's great. It's, and I don't mean that as, like, a negative. He's, he has steadied our midfield so much. I mean, compared to what it was in January, where we were, I think, all, like, sort of after that sort of initial honeymoon with, with Conte, it, it was starting to end. We were all getting very worried about our midfield, especially once Skip got hurt. And then we bring in Bentoncourt, and it didn't solve every problem, but it sure solved a lot of them. Well, and I mean, I think you hit on the thing is is he's consistent and reliable. I mean, we basically had him and Hoybjerg available for the last five months. And 
they played single match. I think Winks started like what once, twice. I think, maybe? I think Benzincourt missed the game after he like did a split against Burnley, which I think is like the injury he's been fighting for the last couple weeks. But other so than that, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, and he's been you know not spectacular, but like good in in most of these matches. I think you know, look, he. He's had matches where he gave the ball away too easily uh, quite a few times. Um, but, yeah, I think generally speaking, he's great in possession. Um, I think one of the things that we saw from him early on is he does, like, the type of, like, Erickson like, field scanning that, you know, Hoiberg and Winks and uh, Skip does to an extent, but those other two guys don't really do. Like, he's very aware of where he is on the pitch, like, he had, was, I forget which game it was, but there's the one, he receives a pass from, I think, Larice, and he's, like, right at the edge of R18, and then someone is closing in on him, and he does, like, a quick turn away. I think it's against City or Liverpool. And, like, just, and then springs a counterattack, and it turned out great. Um, but, you know, like, he does do some things where you're like, oh, shit, and then they wind up working out. Um Again, he, I think he's a, a piece of this team that makes sense and that you can utilize in a bunch of different ways in that midfield over the next few seasons. And, you know, again, he's he's a young player. He's, what, 25? Uh, so, you know, we've got him in this team for the foreseeable future, and uh, he's just really good. Yeah, I mean, I think the not only is he good, um, but, like, he just fits such a need on this team because – I mean, even with him, we saw that, but especially before him, we saw how easy it was for teams to just press us out of games. Like, we were, we had no press resistance whatsoever, and they just mauled us. And so being able to have a legitimately press-resistant midfielder, like, it just gave us a fighting chance. Like, if, if, he, if we did not sign him, we would have gotten mauled through the end of the year by any team that pressed us. And he alone gave us a chance against those teams. And, and then you look to the future and you get a couple wingbacks in who can also be a little bit press resistant. And, and you add a couple more players where it's, it's not so dependent on him to, to not lose the ball in the press. And then I also start think think we start seeing some things we saw like um, against Norwich, where he goes on that long run and, and then sets up that first goal where if he doesn't have to shoulder all that responsibility himself, Self, he's then freed up to also do some other things so it, not only was he super valuable because he brought something to the team we absolutely needed and got from nowhere else this season it, he'll continue to bring that but i think as the team gets better around him we're also gonna get to see him do some other things too that'll be really fun yeah i mean he he's a guy who you know was billed as a very much a defense first kind of midfielder but like we've seen and flashes a lot more to his game, a lot of, like, good passing range. But like you said, those bursts into the box and those, those contributions in the final third. Um, you know, I think I, I think Hoybjerg has been a, a great servant to this team and, and is a perfectly serviceable player um, who is better than he gets credit for. But, like, you get Skip or another, like, really dedicated defensive midfielder, Bentoncourt might start showing, you know, a lot more... Um, progressively with the ball than he's kind of capable of because he kind of has to maintain a little more positional discipline and be a little safer with his passes just to make sure that like we're safe. Um, and when you have reliable outlets on the wings and he can spray a, you know, a 30 yard diagonal to hit somebody uh, that that's going to make him better too, as much as it's going to make the team better with a, a better wing back. 
I think we'll we'll see more of, of what he can contribute. Um, and yeah, for like the price we paid for him, it's it's absurd uh, that that he fell to us so easily and so cheaply. Because as good as Kulisevsky has been, I, I think he's probably the more tra- transformative player given our needs over the course what's, of this What's crazy season. about Bentoncourt is I think the biggest team linked to him before we bought him was Villa, which is like. I mean, you look how good he's been for us. I mean, you know, why wasn't this guy being linked with Champions League level clubs? It's it's just it's nuts. I mean, I th- I think part of it is I I think we kind of we saw that kind of on display when he played for us because he did also have some not great or our midfield I would say fell apart at times um, against some of those teams even after we signed him, and I think if you look at kind of these last however many months he's played with it, it kind of just highlights who he is pretty perfectly where he was really highly regarded when he Juventus signed him and he walks in and he plays really well at a young age. And so he was kind of billed as being like this all world central midfielder. And I don't think he's that. And I think we kind of saw that like, no, he can't run a midfield by himself. And so I think that kind of knocked a lot of the shine off him. But the flip side is kind of to Ben's point is that we saw him play really well next to Hoiberg, who is a really nice player to have, but is clearly a limited player. Um, he does a particular thing, and Skip is, at least to this point, in the same box. But but Bentoncourt is still a player who can play with them. And I think if, depending on the match or who Tottenham sign into the opponent, you can get a more progressive player and play him with them too. So he also holds a lot of value because you can basically play him with any type of central midfielder depending on the game. And that has a ton of value, but he's also just not good enough where... As long as you have him out there, everything's okay. That's He's not at that level. He's not a Conte-level player, obviously. So I think that that's kind of where people kind of slogged him off and tried to pretend like he wasn't at that level. He was at the Villa level when, yeah, sorry, he's a guy who plays really well, but you need to put someone else next to him. Like, that's the knock you have on him. Cool. Uh, we'll just go get a player to play next to him. I mean, like, he can carry a Hoiberg. He can carry a Skip. You go out and find a great progressive passing player. He can carry that guy, too. I, I think he's really, like... I think we saw kind of all the good of him and then also kind of where his limit is, which is totally fine. That's a really good player for us to have. Midfields are usually at least two people. Like, it's okay (laughs) that he can't do everything. Like, it's it's a luxury to have a Conte who just does everything, you know, and then, like, everybody else can just, like, be an attacker. Like, that's just not normal. He's not one of those four guys. He's one of the rest of the midfielders in the world. (laughs) Right. So we're going to happily take it. We're, we're going to do a, our, a breakdown of the season sort of later, I think, maybe next week, hopefully next week. But one thing I just want to talk about a little bit, I'm probably just a little bit high on how the season ended, but, you know, especially considering how just rough everything's been at Spurs since the Champions League final. I mean, obviously there's been moments, but, you know, I think I'm not the only Spurs fan. I think... Ben, you certainly more than me. Ryan, you too. I, I know. Like, it's been a rough couple of years to be a Spurs fan, and it's, it hasn't been easy, and it hasn't been fun. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, we're not rooting for a relegation side or anything, so I want to keep it a little bit in perspective. But you know, it hasn't been fun, and I think this might be one of the most fun seasons I've had being a Spurs fan, at least towards the end. Because, I mean, we especially since February, I've just been playing excellent football and going from sort of where we were to like not only being a good team again, but really sort of just rediscovering how much fun it is to root for a good team again has just been a, 
a very rewarding experience. And I know some of that I'm saying just because it sort of ended in a very nice way. And I'm, you know, very sort of riding that high right now. But it's just been, I mean, I really hope Conte stays because obviously I want to see Spurs do well. But this has just been a really fun ride uh, aside from his sort of, I mean, I am not, I'll, I'll be honest. I, there have been weeks I've let like Conte taking himself hostage, like kind of get to me more than I should. And I find it a little exhausting, more than a little exhausting. But when you watch how we played, I mean, we had a negative goal difference in February, and we finished the season with like 24, 29 goal difference, something like that. Uh, you know, it's just, I mean, we really turned it on and played some of the best football I've ever seen Spurs play. And you're just, you can't help but just sort of get carried away with where we are now and where it could go if we invest. I mean, all the talk coming out of the club is they're prepared to invest in back Conte, and you just, you know, you can't help but your mind start to race about where this team can go. If we, if we were this good with him sort of cobbling it together with two signings and a bunch of duct tape, you know, you just can't help but wonder where it's going to go if we get some real wing backs and another center back and maybe an attacker and yada, yada, yada in here. And I don't know how you guys feel, but this has just been, I think, one of the most satisfying seasons as a Spurs fan that I've, it may, again, maybe it's just been a while, but it's been really nice. I mean, this is a, I think, a pretty mild take, but at least over the last few months, this is the best Spurs have played since 2017 when they finished second. So it's probably been since, what, March of that year? Um, so we're looking at more than five years since we've played this well. Like, that am I, Like that feels like a pretty mild take. Am, am I right? Like, that's we, and that we've had good teams since then. But, but like, that just kind of speaks to how good we were at the end of this season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been not good, <laughs> certainly for the last, like, two years. And, you know, even the Champions League final year, like, we saw the wheel start to wobble um, on this team, for sure. You know, and I think we've talked about this on the pod before, but, like, having our expectations calibrated by the Pochettino years and those highs made it really hard to even appreciate like the last couple seasons of Pochettino because we've seen this team get so good. And if nothing else, Jose Mourinho and Nuno recalibrated our expectations around what this team is capable of. And like, it sucked, but I think it allows you to enjoy a fourth place finish on the final day of the season in a way that, you know, we wouldn't have been satisfied with in, in a Pochettino season. You know, it would have felt like, why are we only here? Um, so I think there's definitely that part of it in terms of how exciting this was is it didn't feel possible for us to get this good this quickly. And we did, but I think to Ryan's point, we didn't just get this good this quickly. We got really fucking good and like almost as good as we've ever been. And that's something our expectations I think have like kind of made us not appreciate is like, we are so good that we've basically only seen us be this good once before in our lifetimes. And I don't think most of us have really processed that, you know, because it was such a slog to get into the champions league. It's, it's hard to realize like, this is how we played this well over the course of a season. It would have been like our second best season ever. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the, the gratifying things about this season is we saw guys that I think a lot of us had given up on, played really well and really key and important roles in, in the turnaround. Um, you know, I think most of us thought Ben Davis was, was done. I think we thought Eric Dyer was done. Uh, I think, you know, after Nuno, we were all pretty down on 
all of our wingbacks. Um, you know, I think the, the only things we were pretty well pleased with were Kane and Son. And, Not even Kane and, back then. Yeah, and, and Larice, I suppose, to an extent. Uh, you know, and just everybody, everybody got better. It wasn't just, you know... Like, like, yes, Conte came in and, and, you know, solidified the team and, and, and we got, you know, good team performances. But, like, the individual performances picked up as well. Like, you know, we weren't, you know, we weren't playing a system to carry Ben Davis. Or we weren't, like, hiding Eric Dyer because of whatever technical deficiencies. What we were doing was playing a way that played to all of these guys' strengths, and and not not so much hid their weaknesses, but highlighted the things that they were able to do, and and so we got to appreciate, you know, Ben Davis playing as a, a left-sided center back and what he can do there. We got to appreciate Eric Dyer sitting back and quarterbacking the defense. We got to appreciate Hoybeerg for whatever it is that he's supposed to be doing. I'm not. <laughs> not totally clear on it. I'm not sure he's clear on it either. Um, but you know, like we got to appreciate those things, and so that I think that was a really coming from Mourinho, who we told ourselves had a plan. And you know, I I, I know Greg this said this on multiple podcasts, but like we were confident of Mourinho's ability to diagnose a problem and find a way to fix it. And well, then, we were confident about half of that, not <laughs> right. <laughs> And then none of that happened. Neither half happened. And then Nuno, who I I, I can't think of a tangible. He seems thing. like a nice man. Yeah, he, he. I like his beard. Is that something? Um, is that something? Because I, I feel like I hear a lot of Spurs fans say like Nuno. He's a nice guy, but he wasn't perfect for Spurs. Is that just something we all say because we're afraid of being perceived as racist? Like I don't understand where this comes from, other than Nuno isn't Mourinho. Like, he I don't seems I mean, like a nice man. I don't, he, I don't, he honestly doesn't seem like a nice you know, guy. Like, he didn't anything. want to talk to the players. He didn't want to, like... I mean, uh, if, was... if nothing else, when he got on the mic after games, he wasn't a complete and total asshole. He said nice things about people, which, like, was the biggest turnaround from the Jose years. But, I mean, I think to, I think to Brian's point, like, I don't think anything symbolizes that better than what we saw at right wing back. Not only did Doherty start playing well... He played so well that when he got hurt, we thought it was all going to go to shit. And then Royale steps up and plays well. Like, two guys who we were convinced just needed to get in the bin played great. Like, straight up played great. And, like, that, I be... think that sums up, like, all the guys managed to get better, and that was fun. I wouldn't be I shocked like... if, we don't, if we don't make changes at right wing back in the offseason. Like, I think we might, but right. like, if we went in with Royale and, and uh, Doherty again, I wouldn't be shocked and I don't think I'd I be would. that angry about no, it. We should. I mean, it's still, it's still <laughs> a weak link. It's still a weak link sport. And those are still the positions that like we need to improve. Yeah. I, but, like, I think I think it credit itself very well. We'll go into next season with one of them. Yes. Um, I think that's, well, I think that's definitely true. Yeah. Um, I think the big thing is, is like you look at it like Jose's tenure and it was a period of marginalization of all these guys who we thought could be something kidding like kicked out of the team and thrown in the trash and like just garbaged you know and Conte's tenure for all of his reputation as like a, a tough guy and a you know crazy person the story of his time here is the exact opposite it is a reclamation project it is giving new leases on life to everybody 
You know, like even like Davis and Sanchez came into the team when when Romero got hurt for the last three games of the season, and you know we scored uh, nine goals and gave up zero. You know, like great work Davis and he like contributed to a goal, contributed to a bunch of clean sheets, and like all the guys we thought were not going to be part of this team, except for you know a Harry Winks or two. He got something out of and like. The, you know, the other I mean, thing I appreciated there's, there's so no much about it was even the guys he kicked out, like LaCelso and, and Domble, there was no drama, really. I mean, he had, like, one sort of shitty press conference about Domble, but, like, they were just gone. It wasn't this, like, melodrama like we had under under Mourinho. It was just like, no, nope, I don't want him. Get him out of here. It was it was at least, at a, even when it was like that, it was just, it was all it was all very clean in a way that we hadn't had in years. I mean, it was like, it was... It was the damage had been done with all of those players, and the mess had been made. But it it does like it does hard not to look at like imagine if like Conte had come two years ago when these guys still hadn't been like soured on their whole like life experience in London. You know, you see what he did for guys like Davis and, and Davinson and whoever. You know, I, I I would be surprised if Conte couldn't have gotten a tune out of some of those guys. You know, to the same degree. Um, and I'm not gonna like look back at that, but like. What he did do is is special. I mean, two things that really stand out to me now, kind of like looking at the end of the season and kind of where we've come over the last however many months. One is we were lucky to get Conte. Um, and we knew that at the time. Like, he should have gone to a bigger club. Manchester United should have not been so stupid. Um, and I think that we kind of, and realistically so we knew that the entire time we've known it for months that like he he should be at a bigger club and i think seeing us play so well down the stretch and get into the champions league and now be prepared to back him it at least to me it feels almost like an affirmation like yeah we were lucky to get him and we weren't big enough when we got him but we might be big enough for him going forward and that's kind of like it feels really affirmative to like look forward and be like there is a path here where we are good enough for Antonio Conte, not out of luck, not of anything else. It's like we are good enough to be an Antonio Conte club. And, and then the other thing that I think is really exciting and, and kind of lends to the excitement and the giddiness and the joy of the last few months. And I think it kind of goes back to um, something I said when I was on the pod a couple months ago and it looked like Arsenal were going to finish ahead of us or might finish ahead of us. And we were playing well and we were talking about like, well, why does it not feel so great, even though like we've gotten so much better with Conte? And the simple reality was, if we were going to finish fifth, but we were playing really well and things got so much better after Nuno and we had a future with Conte, that's great. And like we would have been really happy with that. The thing that put a damper on it was that it was Arsenal who was fourth. Like that was the big thing. That kind of just shits on you. Well, guess what? Now we're fourth and Arsenal's fifth. And so, like, it just flips onto the other side. And now, like, that makes it feel so much sweeter, no matter how much we, like, want to just look at it objectively or be like, how is the status of the club? The status of the club is that we finish ahead of Arsenal. It's the same way that our progress would have felt worse if we finished behind Arsenal. Like, that makes a huge difference. So the fact that we did that and we kind of are starting to dream on actually being an Antonio Conte-level club I don't know how you can't feel giddy right now. It's it's fantastic. Brian, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say, I think I think the thing that, that Ryan hit on there is, like, we have the possibility to go on and then become this, you know, the Antonio Conte style of club. And, you know, that's going to require investment. And I know we'll talk about this more on another episode, but, like, we just talked about how great it is that Conte coached these guys up and took these guys from looking like scrubs to having, like, really stellar performances. But what I'm worried about the club as a whole doing not necessarily Conte and Paratici, but, like, fans, man, ownership, like, talking ourselves into, like, oh, Ben Davis is fine. Or Eric Dyer, totally good, don't need to do anything there. Hoybjerg and Benzinker, totally fine. We don't need a fourth attacker. We don't need, you know, whatever. I'm afraid of, that we're going to do that. Like, we're going to all have this great love fest. And, and I know, look... This is typical doom and gloom stuff. I had to bring it back down because it is Wheeler to the radio. Um, I don't actually know that that's going to happen. It seems like we have a plan. It seems like we're signing and targeting the right players. Like, I personally feel confident that we're not going to just rest on our laurels. But, like, we, there is a danger that you talk yourself into, you know, Ben Davis is your starting left center back isn't all that bad. Well, I mean, this is I, this is one area where Conte's ridiculous hostage taking might work in our favor because I I think he doesn't think that way. So he might be like it drives me nuts that he points the gun in his own head every three weeks. But if that's what it takes to get Daniel Levy to like sign some wingbacks and not settle, like you're saying, Brian, then I guess God bless. I mean, I think the thing is, is like if we wanted to finish fourth next season, we could probably do that with the squad we have. Like, I, I think Conte could get another year of top four finish out of this squad. But the thing is, is Conte doesn't want to finish fourth. Conte wants to win the title. And, like, that's crazy. But, like, we're the deal seems to be Conte is going to stay because we're going to spend because Conte is not content with what just happened, you know? Like, skating into top four in the last week of the season is not what Conte is here to do. And that's ambitious, and it's an ambition that Levy seems prepared to match for a change. And, like, I mean, that is exciting because I don't think we can beat Liverpool and Man City, but, like, well, what, what if, if we, we do? <laughs> I mean, to keep up the theme of, of comparing ourselves to Arsenal is I think that to a degree um, we're in similar places in the sense that Arsenal have a lot of totally fine players and across their starting 11 and you see them talking about needing to get deeper and i think that they're probably going to outside of strike or go sign a handful of other pretty good players and they'll be backups one what they really need to do is go sign really good players and turn their pretty good starters right now into backups because of conte i don't have a fear that we're going to do that i because of that man because if not he will walk into daniel levy's office throw a horse head on it and just kick him in the <laughs> balls like i i think that we are going to be like ben davies is a solid player um emerson royale is a solid solid player you know what solid players are backups we're going to go sign a really good center back and a right back and they're going to be the backups and I, I i think that we are obviously like the squads are different and and all these things and we're in champions league and they're not and you go on on these things but like I think we're in similar areas where we the both teams have to be ruthless and be like, you're a pretty good player, and that's why you get to be our depth now because we're going to go get a really, really good player. And I don't think Arsenal is going to do that, and I have pretty strong confidence that Conte will make sure that we do that. 
So, before we wrap up, gentlemen, I have a few quick questions from our uh, esteemed listeners. Um, I want to start with someone who must be a first-time listener to the podcast. I've never heard of him. I, you know, I'm very grateful that he would send us a question. You know, we always want new listeners. Uh, this is from a Reno Wall Wallaboot. I, I don't know how you say. How it. many weeks can you possibly do this joke, Greg? Every, every fucking week, Ben. Um. He just wants to know who ate the nachos uh, that, that sent Conte into a rage of banned ketchup. First team player is the only thing we've heard about that. I'm convinced it's Delhi. Might be Doherty. Doherty. That seems like an Irish person thing. Mexican food seems like an Irish, an Irish person <laughs> thing. No, you know, nachos. As the most Irish-looking person on this podcast, Brian, I'm a little... Wait. I'm sorry. What happened with nachos, and why does ketchup have anything? Ben, you didn't hear this. Apparently, what set Conte off about like banning ketchup and managing diets is he saw a first-team player eating nachos in the training ground. Yeah, they're the best food ever. Yeah, well, we don't know who the player is eating nachos. I think it's Deli. Who do who do we think it is? Ryan, as the foremost nacho expert on this podcast, who do you think? No, no. First of all, Ben is the foremost nacho (laughs) expert on this podcast. (laughs) But. But I do think I think it was Lacelso, and I think this now explains everything about what happened to Lacelso once Conte showed up. That does fit. Yeah, I, I I have a hard time coming up with a better answer. I mean, it's easy to make Ndombele jokes about eating nachos, but <laughs> I love Ndombele and I won't do it. So well, I mean, Lacelso. to be fair, that that would fit because you love Ndombele and you love nachos. I fucking That's love why him. you love Ndombele. He's got nachos. He's, he's got nachos all over his jersey. <laughs> there was a year, I remember, it was like January 8th, when I like took a look around at myself and I was like, I've eaten nachos every day this calendar year. I need to make some life changes. And then I just ate healthier nachos. <laughs> and then you spent, you spent the rest of your life trying to get back to that time when you were <laughs> yeah. just so happy. Didn't realize you actually had it figured out. Just got to dump a pile of iceberg lettuce on it so it's healthy. <laughs> uh, Brian, maybe you could help me with this one. Uh, this is an interesting question from uh, at by Incognito. He wants to know if did Spurs make the Champions League and Arsenal didn't. Uh, I have seen some reporting to that effect. Um, it uh, it certainly seems like that's the case. Uh, now. Chelsea could go bankrupt, and then both Spurs and Arsenal could make the Champions League, um, I suppose. But yeah, as of this recording, which is uh, Monday, May 23rd, yeah, uh, Spurs are in the Champions League and Arsenal are not. That is big if true. Um, Ryan, as Wheel Deal Radio's official streets correspondent, I was hoping you could help us out with this. Uh, The Hamburglar, at The Hamburglar, wants to know, uh, he has been hearing in the streets that uh, all gunners are runners. Can you confirm if true? No, that's absolutely um, not true because when I went to the pub to watch the match on Sunday, um, it was packed with Tottenham fans, and for some reason, one Arsenal fan showed up. He did not seem to be there with Tottenham friends. Uh, he was there by himself in his Arsenal jersey. And I can confirm uh, they are not all runners because he sat there looking sad for two hours. And then when I left the bar after the game, he had still not left his seat, still looking sad. Well, it's, and there's an well, exception to every rule. 
<laughs> Did you do a wellness check? I mean, I've got to think that that was a seriously troubled young man. Uh, he, he, he was there with a woman who uh, talked to him upon occasion, and she also just looked like she didn't want to be there, but she was appeared to be unaffiliated. Uh, she wasn't a, like a West Ham fan. Didn't like verbally <laughs> attack you. Spit on him. That's what West Ham fans do, apparently. Uh, ben, this comes from Marcus White. Uh, he is wondering uh, where and when do Arsenal get battered? Um, I'm. I gotta double check this, but I'm hearing it's everywhere they go. <laughs> Presumably, that means all the time, right? Um, I, I have to do some more research. Okay, on something, okay. But the early numbers say yes. Um. <laughs> uh, this is a question for anyone who wants to chime in. Uh, what moment of the Arsenal All or Nothing are you most looking forward to? Oh my god! <laughs> the, oh it's, my god! Ben just, it's, I don't think I've ever seen Ben look this happy. I keep happy. forgetting that that's happening. I'm going to watch. Well, 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 Arsenal All or Nothing. Will Arsenal All or Nothing be a uh, full household viewing activity in your house, Ben? I mean, I, I don't understand how you can be a fan of a team and not watch their Amazon documentary. I watched ours. It wasn't good. I didn't watch it. It was, it was great. I just, I'm interested to see what the spin they come up with for it is because, you know, with the Spurs one, they it turned it into the Jose Mourinho show, basically, where we totally ignored, like, the first three months of the season and then we just talked about everything that happened after Jose came in and the pandemic and everything. So what is the like well, the the thing that they're going to hit up? Is it going to be that they're going to focus on the young players? Are they yes. going to focus on... Uh, Will it be about the process? Yeah, exactly. Is it about the process? Is it about Mikel Arteta's big brain and how many Legos you can stack on his head? Um, like, I just don't... I don't understand what the the thing is going to be that's what it's going to uh, be it's going to be it's no it's, it's going to be about the young pre-embryonic arsenal team developing but what i'm really interested in is how they spin these setbacks becoming like building blocks for the future when they like get their ass whipped by spurs and then I mean, they the like same, throw same it away against newcastle no it's, yeah, just, it's I, going to be a hagiography about Markel, Mikel arteta finally rising to the challenge and falling just short, but like with a promise of the future. And it's going to be cast in such a way for maximum Spurs fan enjoyment and only the most deluded Arsenal fan, read every Arsenal fan, uh, will like believe this is actually a good thing and not like a terrible tragedy. What I just hope I is we see... get, I just hope we get some really comical like locker room footage from around the Spurs game. Like, like you know, Xhaka to like you know, like bullying Sokka or something in the locker room. I don't know. Like, I just want something very good out of the Spurs game. I just want to see how they write the the one true arc they have over three seasons of all or nothing at City, at Tottenham, at Arsenal, that no matter what happens and no matter where they go, Tottenham finish ahead of Arsenal. Yes. It's, it's a great – it's been a great joke on Twitter, Doc. Um – if you Ryan, if you were the designer, do you include Lucas in the statue of Son being lifted up after his second goal, or is Lucas a raise? That's from John Mioli, noted Orioles beat reporter. Uh, would you? So does Lucas get like edited out? Do we just have Son like flexing? How, how how do we handle this? 
Yeah, I mean, I have a hard and fast rule that fascists don't make my trophies. Okay. Don't make my statues. Which is weird, because fascists love statues. <laughs> that, this is a little thing called resistance. Okay. <laughs> Ryan's just going to be flying to North London to, like, spill a bucket of, like, pig's blood on uh, the statue that includes Lucas Mora. Tip it into I mean, the I River can... Thames. I don't know. <laughs> Hang, hang it upside down at a gas station in Italy. Like. Yeah. Okay, uh, so we have another question here from Jared Perry. He wants to know, Ben, this one I think is for you. What was the most blatant part of the conspiracy to give Spurs top four? Oh, I mean, I think the way the league agreed, uh, conspired to force Arsenal to postpone the North London Derby, even though they only had one COVID case. And they were ready to play, and they wanted to play. Sun was out. Everything was in their favor. And the league said, no, 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 you can't play. Your one COVID case of a backup right back is too much of a risk to the safety of the league. You guys have to postpone this match. I mean, I think that's that was really it. Um, for me, it's the, it's the Burnley handball decision. Um, you know, refs who, as we know, have have historically allowed Spurs to get, you know, excellent VAR luck, um, continued that with allowing uh, the bullshit handball against, I don't know, who Ashley Barnes. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, any of the white guys on Burnley. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I think that was the most egregious one. I, I think it was the part where... Um... Adu and Arteta were actually given $75 million to sign somebody in January um, and then didn't. And I, I think that was the real big conspiracy there because now Arsenal fans just can't yell about Kroenke all the time and they have to uh, yell about Kroenke, but stupider. They should have spent that $75 million on match fixing. Maybe that would have helped. I mean, they spent $75 million on Pepe. Did that help? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should have. Maybe they should have signed that Kulisevsky guy. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's when George Soros arranged for Kulisevsky to be sent to Tottenham Hotspur. You know, because yeah. we all know that, you know, when you raise involved, it's corrupt, and you know, Paratici should be in jail, but he's not because of the international cabal that is tilting world football in the favor of Tottenham Hotspur. You know, I think we all know what really happened there. So, yeah, no, good time. Um, yeah, this has been a really fun season, and we are going to talk about the season as a whole in more detail in the upcoming weeks. I don't exactly know what we're going to do in the summer. I think we'll figure it out. Rest assured, if there is big news or big transfer stuff, we will probably pop in for that. I think you're going to get a a, a, a season wrap-up from us in the near future, but we will be back. Um, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, thank you. And thank you for all of my fellow panelists for a great year. Uh, and thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, Ryan, where can people find you on the internet? Nowhere. A smart man. Benjamin, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ryan Rosenblatt. That's Rosenblatt with two T's. And a Y. <laughs> a couple Y's. <laughs> Brian, where can people find you on Twitter.com? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. 
You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. I'm not too proud to promote myself on a podcast. And you can find our podcast feed at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Ben, for Brian, for Ryan, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.